In today's Fun Fact Science Corner, an asteroid entering the Earth's atmosphere is now suspected to be a NASA rocket launched in 1966, aptly named Noah's Wrath. It was purportedly crafted by a time-traveling energy official who hoped to wipe the Earth of all ungodly impurities. Well, if you wanted honesty, you've come to the wrong place. This is the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And we're happy to have you back as our impending doom barrels towards us like the president's cock at a prostitute. I'm sorry, sex worker. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'll add a new instrument to the intro every week as we get closer and closer to midnight. Uh, You know, just like a doomsday, (laughs) a doomsday clock of instrumentation on the intro music. I think the doomsday cock is what we were going for, John. A doomsday (laughs) cock of instrumentation. It'll be penetrating your earlobes, mouth and or genitals. Any orifice you have available to be touched, we shall touch it. We should really tiptoe around Michael. He's probably really sensitive after spending all this time in the South. How's your uh, banjo plucking skills there, my friend? Oh, man, I'll tell you what, man. They're pretty good. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. So I now have Boomhauer over here. (laughs) That's honestly, anytime I try and affect a, and I try and do a Southern accent, I just beat Boomhauer. It's very lazy. I had thought about this, and I bounced it off of Melissa, and that's not as tawdry as it sounds. Uh, but I, I had contemplated, since we enjoyed it so much, since we're going, you know, to the Christian realms here for the School of Prayer and Miracles, we should, since you already somewhat teased John with the idea, we should make all the characters Southern, <laughs> and this should be like, you know, a weird plantation oh, no. farm in America and just have everybody have a Southern access. I mean, I already have Wilford Brimley in play. We have so many characters that are already borderline on Southern accents. So I figure, you know, we can Americanize and, and Christianize this for all of you God-fearing folk. I like it. Dude, you, you should really be prepared for the fact that at some point, and it might not be today, it might not be next week. It might be two weeks from now. I'm going to do the Blair Witch Project. What the fuck is that? For the face that's hanging out behind you in that doorway. And uh, you just I hate you guys so fucking much. <laughs> we were, uh, so I've done my first week. Now, there we go. Attaboy, Lemoncello. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I have completed my first week at the, the new job, and I'm loving it. Um, I've only had to... Help shush away three homeless people or tweakers so far, which is uh, less than I thought. But anyway, uh, Becky and I were heading out there last night just uh, on my night off to, you know, just sit on the other side of the bar for a change. Mm -hmm. And as we were pulling the car out of the driveway, it was past, uh, you know, the sun had already gone down and I had forgotten to turn the lamp off in the office. And I was pulling the, pulling the car out and I was looking up 
And I realized something terrifying to me because of you guys that from the street, because I haven't shut that, you can see me in my chair at a certain angle uh, if you're walking on the street. And I, I, it still fucks me up a little bit because I realized how many nights I stayed in here until like three o'clock in the morning, just mixing, like, you know, you're doing your own thing, like you think you're alone. And one of my greatest fears is like from the strangers, you know, we're like, you're getting water in the kitchen, but then there's someone in a burlap sack or like wearing a burlap or a burlap sack for a mask, like standing five feet behind you. Uh, yeah. So fuck you guys very much and mm-hmm. vigorously. And, and also. Uh, you can be charged with indecent exposure if that is your uh, your spank spot, my friend. So be be aware. Well, thankfully, there's not a toilet in this room. Oh, it's, oh, so you're only shitter baiting still? Yeah, it's the only way I can come. Okay. That's very <laughs> awkward when you're having sex, but I mean, you know, whatever whatever you do with your life is on you. I have a very loving wife. <laughs> she oh, understands my go. kinks. <laughs> Uh, so basically, she treats you like a, uh, a waffle cone at the Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Soft serves you around the oh toilet while she's working you. Uh, so if any, uh, any of my family uh, magically decided to listen to this, I love you very much. I'm so sorry that we fall farther and farther from God's graces. Uh, just giving you the old Carvel, as we used to call it. Uh I was actually thinking about this the other day because I went back when I was labeling things for the YouTube channel after Michael so dutifully uploaded some of the lost material to the archives. Yeah. Um, and I am really incendiary, uh, particularly like uh, I think it was the episode four. I was talking about John forcing himself on his wife, like in the intro. So 30 seconds into the episode, I'm already like on the verge of a trigger warning or a requirement. And I was like, (laughs) I can't. You know, I, we, I do have to kind of clarify. We always, John does this. We've apologized multiple times. Like we're trying to be funny. This is the uh, hyperbolic aspects of our personality where I assure you I'm still exactly like this if you meet me in person, but I'd right. like to think that I ratchet it down at least 2%. Just you two. have, yeah, you have come a long way because I don't think, I think back I in those do. early, back in those early episodes, at a certain point, I hit the, Oh, we're putting this out to a lot of people. And in our normal conversations, I know that you're joking. So I mm-hmm. don't have to like trigger warning people around me. I think actually it was Michael who started like in the, on the sideline being like, Oh, we should probably do like a trigger warning. Like mm-hmm. it was, a, it was an arc for a little bit of Mike, Michael being like, uh, trigger warning, uh, cutting, uh, and, uh, uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a peek behind the curtain. I had discovered that like two of my favorite characters. <laughs> Like the Walter Socek in me enjoys <laughs> just losing <laughs> my spit my beer out. <laughs> my addled mind like eighty percent of the time that I exist in the world. But then I one of the podcasts I used to listen to all the time, uh, Tell Him Steve Dave, which has a couple of Kevin Smith acolytes. Uh Brian Johnson on there does very much the the same sort of shtick that I do, which is he'll just say anything that comes to mind because he wants to be funny, regardless of the fact that he'll offend everybody. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's I I think I got into my head that like yeah that's that's fun that's an interesting shtick to take on the podcast, and then like I do nothing but roast Michael for no good reason because we all like each other, contrary to listeners of this podcast <laughs> might yeah, believe. And and actually. And it's something that's pretty fun and exciting for me the more and more I think about it. There are 
the longer that we're doing this, there's a higher number of people that haven't seen the three of us in the same room uh, than not. So, yeah, I guess it is kind of an important distinction to make that, yeah, we we do enjoy each other's company. And I think I think our group chat for the, the podcast is about like 20% business and 80% now just a really fun spot to throw esoteric memes and shit at each other that are kind of topical to what we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have another uh, another mention uh twitter mention and this may be topical for what's going on tonight i just wanted to make sure i hit it before i forgot okay do it um uh so at disinformed pod so i really want you guys to let michael do an episode about the wendigo he can pronounce it winnebago the whole time parenthetical because shane's pain is our gain and at the end it's revealed he was literally just talking about a mf camper van the whole g dang time <laughs> so welcome to the Wanabango episode. <laughs> We're glad you're here. I wish I wish uh, I wrote that creative of an episode. Um and oh, then boy. from <laughs> Let's see. Who uh, who are we referring to? Is that someone we're we're comfortable shouting out? That's our that's our good old Christian friend. The good Christian friend. <laughs> the so Christian we'll stitcher. Christian. Yes. The Christian All stitcher. Right. <laughs> so someone who sews. Well done. Um, Logan said, can't believe you guys are doing Hogwarts School of Prayer and Miracles. Really gonna enjoy it. Uh, also love the new intro music. You killed it. Bless your heart, Logan. Um, oh. and I said, thanks, man. I hate myself for agreeing to doing this. And he says, it's gonna be a fun thing to listen to, though. He already looked up parts of it. Anyway. Okay. Well, we're all excited about it as well, because we do enjoy torturing one another. It's kind of the the joys of jocularity between men. Is, uh, we yeah. all play, we take the piss and we play a bit of the dozens with one another. I prefer to bathe in it and be healed by it. It's the only way you, uh, you know, come, as you say. And I'm sorry, I mispronounced, uh, I mispronounced that word. It's actually uh, Hogwarts School of Prayers and Miraculies. Yes, Miraculies. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the uh, fall of Troy, I believe. Is, uh, yeah, <laughs> he uh, he used to buffet people with miraculous whip. It was uh, you know it's his weapon of choice. It's grand times. Mm, yes. Uh, so shall we do a quick update on Shane's Halloween corner? Uh, yes, we shall because uh, I was excited to talk about this. I truly understand Michael's uh, love, adoration, and fascination with uh, our good friend, Children. Uh, Michael Flanagan. Oh. oh, okay. I just completed, in the course of the past three days, the entirety of the uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Ooh, okay. Okay. So the first, first season, right? Hill House, and then it's Bly Manor. Okay. Yes. Correct. Uh, it, it's kind of like American Horror Show in this oh. respect, is it's going to be anthology, so it'll have different sort of variations on the theme yeah that that season fucked me up um which, which season of what oh, sorry hill house <laughs> oh okay uh yes i haven't I, watched Bly manor yet i Same. will tell you having probably being the one person in the room who read the book since we alluded to it last week he manages to do for the haunting of hill house what he did for the shining and doctor sleep really he honors a lot of really marvelous passages from the book and a lot of the themes and the material 
and yet still manages to introduce new characters and sort of float it forward into the the modern iteration because this was something that was i think the book is around like early 1900s because there's a car that the character drives but it can't be you know outside of maybe 1918 possibly and so to flash it forward into you know the 90s and into the present day was really expertly done and he manages to straddle the line between you know honoring the material and doing something new with it that is very much his own and unique to the the medium that he's serving so I was really impressed with it, and I was simultaneously ooked out and creeped out and wound up crying like a small child at the, bat- at neck the, lady. Uh, the end of the, the series. That last episode, I swear, like I was going through a box of tissues like I was a you know 15-year-old watching the Lifetime Network. That whole Ooh. thing is just miserably about loss and dealing with grief and loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the point where I think... So I loved it when we watched it originally, and then the next time I watched it was a majority of it was like on the plane to and from my grandma's funeral because I just for some reason oh. thought that would be nice salt in a wound to like yeah sure <laughs> to to watch yeah. and watching it then like you truly kind of like get a grasp on like what it's drilling subtextually and not and sometimes it's just drilling right into your head it's like watching six feet under in the same concept or you know same concept. Right. By the way, did you guys hear the news about fucking Dexter? No. Oh my god. The the, the character or the show? Yeah. Oh. They are bringing back the original uh, front runner and Michael C. Hall for a limited run, ten episode one off at Showtime. Uh, uh, like and if it's it... handled anything like they did the epilogue, it's going to be breathtakingly bad. I oh, still yeah. haven't watched the last season. I know how it ends. I still you, refuse to watch the last season. I've read the books. Hopefully we can do this like uh, uh, Breaking Bad. What's his name? Vince um, Gilligan. Man. Vince Gilligan deal. Well played. And uh, <laughs> and be masters of our own continuity and hope and hold on and say, don't watch the last season until you have a premiere date for the new season and and see how that holds up Like with no, what, how long has it been? six seven years in between a horrific finale um and what's a, i'm sure is going to be a horrific like oh here Retcon. he is everybody hey, <laughs> don't, don't give yourself enough time to get nostalgic about it before yeah. you dive headlong into the yeah. next travesty it'd be like if game of thrones is like psych <laughs> you know what's it funny season nine uh, on that topic not to deviate off of what you're talking about but having just finished uh, a Dance with Dragons for the oh, first nice. time. I was pleasantly surprised at the volume of one, like additional characters and subplots that exist within the book arc. Oh, yeah. That was not represented in the series. So there is a very legitimate chance that the ending of the books is going to be dramatically different from what it was on the that, show. That I was mean, an argument that was floating. Sorry, Michael, I'm not trying to no, barrel over you. Um, most people do right that was an argument that i saw floating around the interwebs when the series concluded was well now we just need to wait for martin to finish his thing so he can do it fucking right so that we Mm -hmm. have like a satisfying conclusion which by the way i'm gonna be one of those criers that will say that i enjoyed the show for what it was even even the ending i didn't really care i didn't have an idealistic mm -hmm. approach like it was kind of fitting to kind of like buck uh what you were expecting a little bit 
It's a roller coaster uh, ride. You know, you want to just get on, ride it, experience it, and then get back off. I'm not going to sit the entire time going, you know, you could have made that turn just a little bit more hair raising just right. to get my blood back up. But Michael, please, thoughts. I was just going to talk about Lady Stoneheart. Um, yes. Which is probably one of the most lacking characters that was in the book that isn't in the show. And I feel like would have changed a lot of things. Also, Stone, uh, what was it? Stone Bellwas or Strong Bellwas? Strong Bellwas, yes. yes. My, uh, one of my favorite characters. All, the fact a- <laughs> that he shows up with Barristan is intriguing. But then the whole subplot with Aegon Targaryen, which oh, is not yes. the Aegon Targaryen of the show. Mm-hmm. And then to encounter all the Dornish uh, sort of like subversion that's going on. Moorish. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of stuff going on in those books that just is totally unaccounted for on the show. Just characters that were either blended together. They did what the Lord of the Rings did with the source material, which is they started giving lines to other people. They threw characters and just blended them together where they went, why introduce someone new when there's already so many other characters in yes, here? Sir. You guys are really giving me a hard decision to make, and I feel like you you all are yes. just gonna have to solve it for me or like do tell it. me what to do because do I you know, you know want... what he's saying, Michael. <laughs> do it, you won't no balls. It, it, okay, you don't you he's don't have the like... balls to pull the trigger. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like he could be saying you know tonight's the night I'm finally gonna you know drown myself in my toilet when I finish. <laughs> I'll circle back. To, I'll circle back to that. Um, you don't have the nut. um i i need a right now i'm finishing listening to children of the mind and i'm still finishing reading 1122 Mm. um but what's next on my list is dune because of the movie like the you know the baller version of the movie Mm -hmm. is coming out in december um so i've never read dune it's not coming out December. I thought it was December. They, no, the they floated it? it forward to October of next year. Oh, uh, I'm actively crushing my spirit all in one fell swoop. I've got I was time. so ready okay. for that movie. Uh, I cannot tell you how stoked I am to see that thing done. Any, I didn't please. know that it got floated. Yeah, I got really upset. It makes sense, but I mean, fuck. Um, so, so I need to read Dune, and and that's not to say that I'll stop at just dune itself because i know that's an expanded universe there's what like four or five books uh no it's like the so man if if you really want me to go off on a tangent we can get into this because dune is one of my favorite things okay snap snapshot so there are six uh books uh officially i believe in the original arc Okay. Um, that were written by Frank Herbert. He ends the sixth one on a cliffhanger, and, and then, then he, died. he died. So what like everyone is boss. like terrified about with George Martin. Yep. But he left a significant amount of material in a lockbox that his son found while they were working on the estate, and then they have parceled out all the materials in his notebooks into probably an additional four or five series. That are at least three books each. So there's wow. a, an additional like almost 20 books of material okay. that involved oh. like either in between chapters between uh, books in the series, prequel series and all these other things. So you it's an investment in months if you really want to get into it. And I will tell you as someone who my dad gave me the book and showed me the original David Lynch film when I was a freshman in high school. Okay. I was not mentally prepared for what 
a task this was going to be because there's a glossary of terms you have to understand because Herbert is not one of those where he really kind of just uh, helps to gently baptize you into the world with context. He just throws terms out at you. And he's like, you're going to, you're going to either look at the glossary or you're going to take it from the context and just roll with it. Right. So it is, yeah, yeah, it's a baptism by fire when you first start, but once you get into it, man, it's fantastic. I love it. Well, Dune slash Dune series or starting the Dune series is option one. Uh, another option is reading the Lord of the Rings for the first time. Cause I've never read the Lord of the Rings either. Um, and then the third option would be what you're doing now, Shane, which is going through Game of Thrones. So I guess I am looking for series in in a way. I just didn't. Oh, and also, lest we forget, I still have the tower to finish, but I'm having senioritis with that one. Oh, you. You need to that do. Is, I Yeah, if I'm going to recommend anything because you already finished the tower, you're familiar with the series and you know the characters uh, undertaking any of these other things like I don't mean to keep just buffaling buffaloing michael right now uh because i see your eyes lighting up of wanting oh, to I was interject glaring at him because of the not finishing the tower that was understandable that was it, yeah uh but i i was just talking about this again with melissa earlier where i was saying it's weird because i just finished you know the game of thrones books are massive they're monumental so they're you know the last two are over a, a, like a thousand pages each uh, and so I went from that to I picked up Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is a collection of Stephen King stories again, and that's 800 pages. And then I was contemplating reading Frankenstein because I have not read the original source material. And when I looked at it, it was like 200 pages. And I went You're like, oh, that's a setting. I was like, oh, I forgot the normal pages for like a page count for a book is like 200, 300 pages. And I keep reading these authors who it's like, okay, Tolkien and Herbert and King, who it's like it, they 800 pages later, you're just getting your toe dipped into the water. We're like, okay, I need to get back to the land of like reasonably sized material for a while. Speaking of, and then I'll, I'll be done in my little, little corner. I don't even think we answered the original question of what you're doing Halloween wise, by the way. Uh, um, that was the, the, the haunting of Hill House as well. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Um, I succeeded in something that I've been trying to do for probably a year now. And as of this recording, uh, Becky has bought the audiobook for the stand and is making her way through it. And her first impressions already is I'm in love with it. And there's 40, well, that's what, I think it's like a 48 hour audiobook. She's like, I think I'll finish it this month. And, uh, I'm super excited. All it took was showing her one awesome trailer for the CBS All Access, uh, miniseries coming out in, in December. And that one isn't pushed. That's happening. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. I, I, uh, texted her. I was like, M O O N. That spells good book. <laughs> Which I assure you, she probably still has no context for whatsoever. I think when I read it originally, I explained who C- Mr. Cullen was. Okay, all right. Yeah. But, uh, Michael, you've, you look like you've had things that you've been wanting to release, uh, other than your girlfriend for, you know, hours now. Oh, he'll never release her. I can't find release. Um, I did at some point. Uh, I, okay. So I guess going a little bit back. Yes, you should definitely finish book seven of the tower before yeah. you forget a lot of the important, uh, like information about people. Yeah. I was thinking of that about that earlier today when I was trying to rush through the shining. Is that you want me to be able to catch all your references? Uh, well, 
Kind of. It, it, you, you want to catch all of Stephen King's references. But there were so many, like, things, even in The Shining, that I'm like, I didn't, I don't remember this. And I read it not even a year ago. Yeah. And, and then I sat down and thought, I'm like, I don't remember a lot of the stuff that happened in The Tower. So, like, I'm glad I sat down and read them all as soon well, as I could. Well, it's just because you it's don't quickly... have, like, you know, a college-level comprehension of the material. Ouch. <laughs> okay, just because I read I'm on kidding. a second grade letter uh, uh, level uh, doesn't you know doesn't mean I can't read the big words. I just need a dictionary for those. Okay? It takes a little bit longer to understand the big words, but you know I, I still try. Okay? Shane said he was going to be nicer to you, so now I, I need to pick up the slack a little bit and be the one yeah. that's being an asshole all the time. That, <laughs> to, that's, uh, that's fair. To Michael's point, there is a lot of important sort of subtext. And little nuanced things that happen with characters and other situations. And also, by the time you get to meta, meta levels on King, which is going to happen in this book, uh, your context is really helpful. And particularly, you're not going to forget most of the things that are going on. I'm sure you could barrel into this a year from now and you would still be okay. I That's think the, it's yeah. more of eating, you know, while the cheese is still ripe and in its best flavorful state as opposed to letting it languish in your refrigerator for a year. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a cold pizza kind of guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I could do room temp, but I'm not a cold pizza guy. Drop Good it like analogy. it's hot. Well, I'm through I think I'm halfway through Resident Evil 3 right now, like gameplay wise. Becky and I watched a movie, a shutter original last night called Scare Me, which has Aya Cash in it, and it was worth a once over. Um it's pretty bare bones setup like two strangers in a cabin super meta it's more like a comedy with some elements of horror in it i wouldn't say i highly recommend it i think it could have been done a lot better but it was fun for the season um yeah halfway through resident evil 3 uh oh that's what i was thinking about before i came up here i really want to rewatch the actual like og or 2002 resident evil movie just just for the fuck of it because I remember really, really enjoying that. And it's so campy and like like action horror. Action horror, I think, gets overlooked in my head because it, it tends not to be good, but it's just popcorn. Mm. It's uh, I really enjoy that movie of the series. I think it gives you like a false uh, a false read, like a false positive, because it's really well done. And it doesn't hit as much of like as campy as the later films would get and right. how bizarre and and out of the, the box the, the rest of the storytelling becomes. I really like just the quick digestible first film and plus uh, they also count their ammo in that movie, I think. Yes. And I mean, Michelle Rodriguez uh, actually gives a performance where the Fast RBF, yeah. I mean, makes sense. And the character is in keeping. I think like that and SWAT are the two films that I can look at with her in it. Whereas oh, like, shit, yeah, yeah the, it makes sense that your character just sits and glares at everybody the entire film. Yeah. Michael, did you finish uh, Blind Manor like you, you thought you would? Did you watch it all on the plane or? No, no. I tried reading, um, The Shining. Um, I, oh, okay, yeah. even, I haven't even started it yet, but, um, one thing I did get from, uh, Kentucky from a friend. Herpes? Uh, was, no, I already had that. <laughs> um, no, it's the Call of Cthulhu. A protection game. order? No, I already <laughs> had that too. Why are you guys talking about stuff that's already happened to me? Uh, no, uh, the Call of Cthulhu game. Ooh, is that the PlayStation one? one? Yes, the PlayStation one, yes. It yeah. looks fun, so I want you to tell me, like, I need an honest review of that. 
when I when I can find time to play it, I will. Yeah, the trailer looked interesting. I was I was very intrigued by the concept. Yeah, because I'm gonna have to try and squeeze that game in um before the I guess the twentieth. So oh, I won't be able to finish in six days because yes, you can. Um, there is another game that's coming out, I believe, on the twentieth that I'm really really excited to play, uh, called Amnesia Rebirth. <gasps> Do I need to play the other ones to get it? You think? I don't think so, but, I mean, you should play the Amnesia games just, well, the first one. Bay of Pigs is kind of, I think it's called Bay of Pigs. Machine for Pigs. That one is... Bay of Pigs. (laughs) I confuse, you know, er, uh, ancient. I confuse old CIA blunders with video games all the time. I'm I'm sorry. Don't we Um, all? Yes. Um, You know, the first one, A Dark Descent, really good. You should play it. Um, Okay. And then if you are into more of the sci-fi horror, uh, Soma is also made by them. Also really good. Tight. Um, it's uh, also, if you have, what, what is it called? Thalassophobia, I think. A fear of, uh, fear of deep water. Um, I also don't, very terrifying. but I do at the same time. I don't until I'm in it. I mean, he shitter baits all the time. He's obviously not afraid in of, you know, water, plumbing yeah. the depths. Listen, He's I know that some afraid. of you wash your balls in the shower, but I prefer to wash them in the toilet. Yeah. I, don't I mean, you have you a day? He yeah. did get that specifically to give the full I undercarriage yeah, clean. I don't drink any water the night before, and I just let the dehydrated balls hang into the, the toilet, and I spray them with the bidet. Oh, okay. Makes sense to me. Yeah. And then I have aggressive diarrhea, and I revert the whole process. That's why John's <laughs> been waxing his sack meat for the last 15 years. He's just got to get all the nooks and crannies clean. It's like a fucking English muffin down there. How much money do you think I make behind a bar? Not that uh, saying you had to well, spend much in order balls. to wax it. <laughs> You're just taking like packing tape and wrapping up your testicles. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it up. Well, speaking of hairy situations, uh, Ooh. <laughs> grand Sigourney right there. <laughs> Michael Ooh. has something he wants to talk to us about today. But now that yeah. we're 30 minutes into the show proper, I think Shane has something to tell you, the listener. <laughs> I, you know, I make a point of trying not to interject when we're actually having organic flow through here, no, as Otho fair. would say. So it's important to say. But for those of you who are uninitiated and didn't realize that you were walking in on a newly, uh, you know, dubbed game podcast and gaming podcast, uh, what we typically do here is we will delve into a random esoteric topic, and in the course of explaining it to one another, we will leaven in the occasional lie just to keep things interesting and throw us all off the scent of anything rational that might be occurring. In most instances, the material we're covering is so bizarre in and of itself that you can manage to slide a few things by the co-host as Michael's is taking, you know, like cocaine hits over here on the nasal spray i'm draining oh, for some I reason see. so that, I'm, uh, I'm trying to i'm, I'm trying to clear my sinuses for some reason the jet lag Ugh. is finally caught up so you're over here uh, wolf, wolf of wall street he's here. fucking carrie mm. uh, carrie era king mm. over here just shoving anything and everything up his fucking nose while we're trying to do a show yeah, <laughs> well i don't yeah, remember Kujo. writing this episode so uh this is this is gonna be interesting oh <laughs> uh, so In any event, you can play along at the home game whenever we identify a lie. We like to call it out in situ and uh, holler posse at it. And uh, unfortunately, though, try as we might, there are no points for a correct answer and no one wins at this game, much like life or the 2020 election. Right. So, gentlemen, we have something very interesting that we're going to morph into this evening. Pun intended. 
<laughs> Michael, <laughs> what are we talking about? So we're talking about the Winnebago. <laughs> it's morphin' time. <laughs> um, just to start out, I have four lies. Um, one is a very obvious lie. I would be very offended if you did not get it. Prepare to be offended. You graduated college? That hurt. <laughs> Ten years and I'm still not done. Uh, That's what she um, said. Yes. Uh, it's, not, it's not the university's fault that it's taken you eight years to learn English. No child left behind. We're all making this podcast. We're obviously intellectually crippled. I think uh, we, we've understood amen. that for a long, long time. Okay. You forgot to say narcissistic and crippled. You Narcissic- know, well. Narcissistically? <laughs> Narcissically. Narcissically. Uh, Narcissic. Ooh, I actually like that. That's All a right, cool so anyway, portmanteau. You were, anyway. you were saying, Michael, something about a Winnebago and... I had a portmanteau the other day with some uh, liver. It was very tasty. I think it was an 87 portmanteau. Ooh, Pinot yeah. Good year. Good Pinot year. Pinot Grick. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to say that anymore. This is why we don't have random, like, you know, episodes, loose fit, as John would call them anymore, because it's like watching popcorn kernels pop. Yeah, we just terrible. start losing we our We learned lines. our lesson. Yeah, That's why when he said that he wanted to do just a free form of, of The Shining, I was like, I- I'll do something. I need to do some cocaine. <laughs> <sighs> okay, but you did wrap this package, this Winnebago package up as pretty, uh, pretty easily digestible, quick and out, right? Uh yeah, it's only um twenty pages. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's uh, he used the Winnebago to make some meth in. That's what he's snorting presently. Snort. Uh, I'm just gonna cut that out that gross. snort. Gross. I'm cutting out. Why aren't that you snort. more fucking ashamed of yourself? I'm always ashamed of myself. It's a baseline, so I I can't really if I'm, I'm if I'm always ashamed of myself, I can't really get much lower than that. So listen, I will drink your nasal drainage if you could just get to the goddamn point. Okay, so I want to start off by reading a quote from this website that I found on the uh, Wendigo. I almost called it the Winnebago just out of principle. It's some guy uh, who was named Jefferson Muncie, and that's actually the website. It's like jeffersonmuncie.com. Oh, good. Um, yes. So it starts off, and I, and I, like, I like the intro to it. So I, I'm not reading the whole thing, but just a couple of uh, small paragraphs. Do it to so, me, Daddy. Cannibalism has always been taboo. The act of eating another person feels like a betrayal of human nature. Lies. Not eating out. Eating. Okay. I, I, I figured you were going to call bull. Why not no, both? No, no. The cannibal of Rotterdam has taught us anything. It's eating people is an honor. True. Uh, those who engage in the act are viewed as monstrous, someone who has lost their humanity. Uh, the legend of the Wendigo goes back hundreds of years and is said to originate with the Vikings who landed in Greenland. Traditional stories about the Wendigo take place during the winter. And I'm going to call uh, bullshit on the Vikings. It's yeah. I, I I believe that's uh, it's American Indian folklore. Our yeah, day, yeah. No, you're right. Okay. You're right. All right. Is that the one Our that you were day... going to be offended if he didn't get? No. No. Okay. No, no, good. No. Great. Um, our modern day interpretation of the Wendigo uh, primarily comes from the Algonquin people who lived in the woods of Nova Scotia and the Great Lakes region of Canada. I'm very Bless proud you. of you for pronouncing that, Michael. Thank you. Uh, all Native American cultures have some variation on the myth of the Wendigo. Uh, the major similarities uh, between all cultures uh, being that the creature is cannibalistic. So traditional stories about the Wendigo take place during the winter. 
an especially difficult time of the year in the far north uh, due to a lack of plentiful hunting and farming. Uh, many went hungry, and dying of starvation was common. And you couldn't send people to the wall. True that. You and how? the wall. Actually, there was no wall. Indeed. You were mm-hmm. just another brick in the wall, if there was one. Ooh. When someone's on the brink of death, all other concerns fall away. Starvation causes depression, anxiety, and aggression. This weakness from starvation is what the Wendigo preys on. It possesses a human host, causing immense hunger and uncontrollable urges to eat human flesh. As the person feeds, they begin to transform into the creature. Now, um, because I was lazy and quite unprepared this week, I actually wrote it in like a about an hour's worth yesterday. I'm quite proud of it. Mm. Um, I decided to let others do the majority of the work for me. Um, Basil Johnston is quoted on Wikipedia. Basil. The Wikipedia, yes, is quoted on the Wikipedia page for the Wendigo, giving a description of the Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion... Damn it, I got so many of the other fancy words. Mm -hmm. Ah. I knew knew you were presenting today, so I actually have a 32-ounce growler in front of me. So if I need more beer, I can get it. Ah, Capital oof. I actually only grabbed a beer today because I spent a lot of my weekend drinking um, because I went to a wedding. You're hurting, Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't need to spend that much money on beer for, like, another week or two just to recoup my losses here. So Perhaps he's um, wondering why you would eat a man before throwing him out in the rain. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> I thought about that scene earlier. Like, I think I quoted, either it was on the podcast or in my personal life. I don't know anymore. Anyway. Also, uh, the fact kill that it's me. Littlefinger who is trying to kill him in that is, is even more entertaining. It sucked my brain the first time I realized it. Uh-huh. Anyway, please continue. Its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. Mm. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering from the separation of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. Pretty good quote. Indeed. And this is from some sort of... uh, literary work that he's uh, thrown together he, or does he claim uh, he's he Tumblr page. One? No, no, he he's a <laughs> literary scholar for um BuzzFeed. No, for cultures. He's a historian. I can't remember. Okay. Uh, but he's a he's a Native American um historian from the area. Uh, okay. I, he's he's one of like the other one of the other cultures that yes, yes. He's one of yeah. the other cultures that cultures I don't want to try and pronounce but it's like oh oh Objiway or something like that. I like that he said he wasn't going to pronounce it. And then I butchered it anyway because I I have to try it, yes. All right. Um, So additionally, whenever a Wendigo ate another person, um, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten. So it could never truly be full. Uh, Mm. Thus, Wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation. So on the surface, this myth looks kind of like it, it looks like a very simple cautionary tale, right? Don't eat other people because it kind of kills the whole cooperation vibe, right? Why would you work with Joe when you know full well he's going to start munching on your back the moment it's turned, right? Easy enough explanation. I sure. just met a lot of new people this week, and I agree. I hope that randomly while working with one of my new coworkers that they didn't try to chew on my back fat. Yeah, John also has a lot of trepidation about things happening behind him, as we've learned from this podcast. Hello? <laughs> it's funny because I can see the reflection of the closet 
um, in the door, and it actually looks like a silhouetted figure. Yeah, so you can fuck yourself uh, no, straight it, straight to Winnebago to hell. <laughs> oh, man. Baby's on um, the patio! Baby's, baby's on, the- on the rooftop! <laughs> Silhouette in the doorway! Um, <laughs> Wendy goes, come to eat me! Wendy goes and Winnebago's! Um, <laughs> and there's a clip. bunch of, like, gaunt, like, <laughs> creatures just trying, like, one giant thing trying to drive, like, a Winnebago with its, like, giant claws. It's like, yeah. It would be the like Wendigo. the uh, American werewolf in London version of a werewolf behind <laughs> the seat of a car. Or uh, <laughs> Wendigos want to bang hoes in Winnebangos. <laughs> that's the, that's the name oh, of the new band, uh, touring with Gushing Grannies. What's it it's do? Oh, band. <laughs> so, oh. unfortunately, the simple explanation is not all uh, to it. Uh, we got to talk about the reason some cultures believe in the Wendigo, uh, believe... Winnebago. We got to talk damn. about the reason some cultures believe the Wendigo possesses someone. Because ah, okay. there's other cultures that believe that there's not necessarily a spirit, but it's just the act of cannibalization starts turning you into the Wendigo. So All it's right. not like a separate entity or like a supernatural sort of entity that possesses you. It's just the act of doing it to turn how, you into one. How long can something be out and you still have to say spoiler alert? Are just you talking about um, a video game? Uh, until dawn yeah yeah i I, okay. I wanted to write a little section that had like references to like pop culture but the other section that i'm going to be introducing in a couple of moments here or I, there's I a shitty shitty episode of supernatural like season one episode four that you can probably anyway, or cemetery but... for those who are also oh, fuck, you know yeah. that was yeah. the main reason why i was interested in the uh, the wendigo um, all right so anyway yes. the uh the origins of the winnebago Yes. So the, we got to talk about the reason some cultures believe the Wendigo possesses someone as opposed to the other thing, right? And it is, it is the totally not controversial modern medical term known as Wendigo psychosis. Now, yeah. Wendigo psychosis, the international statistical classification of diseases and related health problems, which is essentially just a global, it's a tool every, the who uses for like disorders and stuff, diagnosing the, people. The who? I understood. It took me a brief second. I was like, no. The World Health Organization. I was was like, Tommy? (laughs) Um, So it classifies Wendigo, spelt with two I's instead of an E and an I, which is odd, as a culture-specific disorder, describing it as rare historic accounts of cannibalistic obsession. Symptoms included depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts and a delusional compulsive wish to eat human flesh all right mm. mm-hmm. i see what is you're doing spelling, at, John? is the spelling real no oh, yeah yes it is real sorry but he i thought you were asking if it was bullshit and so i got my wires crossed and that's why i was uh-huh. shaking my head no all right it is that's that's why i mentioned it because it was spelled that way which in all the other uh versions of so the in folklore yeah in folklore it, it's spelled differently but the medical uh or the psychiatric spelling is a little wonky yes i me. thought that was weird and i just wanted to make it known but yeah 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 okay so i'm going to quote a 1661 so the year of our lord 1661 report from the yeah, jesuit God. relations Jesuit. Uh, yeah. Je- fuck. Yeah, I knew I was going to butcher that one. 
I've um, had some G suet. If, as long as you season it well, it's very tasty. Christian Stitcher's having a fucking field trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a chronicle of those missions, because I don't want to say that name again. Jesuit. Uh, in new- Jesuit, yeah. <laughs> Bless you. Um, it's a chronicle of those All missions done. in yeah. New France, which is the, the North American French colony that part of Louisiana all the way up to Quebec. Quebec, sorry. Um, Quebec is like a bad <laughs> 80s arcade game. <laughs> we it are does sound like you that. so hard. We're turning your 20 minutes into 80. It's I will like try a and Frenchman s- just jumping along, you know, stinky cheese going, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I will try and uh, take one foot off of your dick so you can get through this. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, what caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake. Namely, that the men had met their death the previous winter in a strange manner. Those poor men were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. And by that, he means the native Algonquin uh, peoples. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glute their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat." This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. You were doing so brilliantly, and then you ran into glute. I got (sighs) tripped up there. But uh, other than that... uh, (laughs) Did I say glut? No, you said glute. Oh, I wish the listeners the, the word could see. Is glut, but yes. oh. I wish the listeners could have seen your face when Shane was saying that, and you're like, you you went like just as pencil thin as your mouth could go, and it's like, yeah, I stumbled. Yeah. But you did really well, other than that. So uh, I, yeah. I mean, I don't mean to condemn with faint praise. You are getting much more adept at cold reads, which is a learned practice. I can assure you from having done this before. So I, I applaud your efforts. My speech therapist says I can graduate in a couple weeks if I keep it up. He throws his fists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of, I'd have a handwriting therapist or uh... what? (laughs) Yeah, someone's giving you like a handwriting analysis. I had such terrible handwriting when I was, I think, in third or fourth grade that they started sending me to see somebody during school time to improve my handwriting. Ah, okay. And now at the place that I work, it's basically like a nightmare come real because we don't have any digital boards for the, for the beer list. Ooh. So if things, if things kick, you have to like use it right on a chalkboard or like these like chalk tiles to, to put up. And self-consciously, if I write anything now that I know that people are going to see, I only write in block caps. That's all I do because I learned from a uh, an instructor years and years ago. Like he, we're like, hey, nice handwriting. He goes, oh yeah, someone once told me if you write in all caps, you know, everyone's gonna be able to read it. And I, I took that to heart. So now, accidentally, I've become the you update the boards guy because you like. They like the all caps, but it's the worst thing for me to do because I have a conniption every time I have to do it. Okay. Anyway, well, sorry, I, I got you, triggered a little bit. 
I have a doctorate in palmistry from the University of Budapest. So, you know, you and I can, can meet and chat about our handy stuff. Ah, so no, Shane, we are smart ass here, but I will have you know that I am well trained in the arts of Santeria. Ah, and what I ain't got you no Santeria. Unrelated folks might call black magic. I definitely don't got no crystal ball. One day uh, you're going to be trying on this hat. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Fuck me to death uh, forever. I hope the ghost behind me fucking just really guts me. Uh, That ghost is just shaking its head in disappointment. Um, What is it, my dad? Yes. Um, (laughs) Speaking of murdering those afflicted, Mm. there is a special case involving a shaman. Shaman. Don't make me spit. (laughs) Or shamwow. Either way you want to slice it. (laughs) Involving a shaman. It's a shaman named, in the Winnebago. <laughs> named Jack Fiddler. It's so beautiful the time of year when the shaman uh, swim up river. <laughs> the Winnebago catches the shaman, the shaman as it swims upstream. And then it mates and dies. <laughs> Ravenously devours them. It's like he's unlearning how to speak in the English language. This isn't my first language. I, I have no first language. I don't speak. <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't ask you what language you identify as. <laughs> Unlike uh, Michael, prepare for the bleep. John's first language was Gaelic. <laughs> I'll get it together, I promise. Oh my goodness. I, I'm almost done, I swear. Okay. John uh, hails from French Lick, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that got me so good. Oh, why'd you, why'd you have to be so good, Michael? <laughs> Do I need to, to mute so... him in order for you to proceed, Michael? <laughs> no, because then it would be a bitch to edit out. Yeah, I'm that's good. fine point. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm back. I'm here. I don't know what happened. Okay. The shaman swim upstream. So there's a famous case involving a shaman named Jack Fiddler who is known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. A sort of exorcist, if you will, uh, especially when the exorcism in question entailed killing people who were diagnosed with Wendigo psychosis. Is that bullshit? No. Um, I actually included this guy's Wikipedia page in the show notes because the story is much more sad than I can explain here. Um, and if you're interested in re- learning more about Canadian exploitation of native peoples, then give it a read. Honestly, it was a little... Um, piece in the uh wendigo like wikipedia page and i'm like oh okay let's read more about him oh that was a lot worse than i needed to see so um essentially he was arrested with his brother joseph i'm sorry what was that fiddler on the rooftop (laughs) joseph on the winnebago (laughs) um (laughs) joseph killing Wendigos? I, I don't know. Um, essentially, he was arrested with his brother Joseph by the Canadian authorities uh, for murdering Joseph's daughter-in-law the year before. And that's kind of where the Canadian exploitation kind of came in, um, because the Canadian uh, Mounties essentially mm-hmm. wanted to start exercising more control over the uh, more native peoples in the north. Um Again, not doing that topic justice, and I didn't want to. Uh, right. It's in the show notes. That's what you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, if you're interested, please read it. It's the, I think it's the, literally the first, no, it's the last uh, link. So it literally says under, Jack underscore Fiddler. Read it. It's interesting. Anyway, Jack escaped captivity and hung himself nearby. 
while his brother, Joseph, was convicted and executed three days, um, I wrote after his death, after he was exonerated. <laughs> so he was, I, this He's is when I was Three rushing. days after his death. I'm going to kill you to I death. Was, I was trying to finish this before I had to go grocery shopping. And so what I meant to say was he was executed three days before he was, I believe, exonerated. Okay. Um, in 1909. And so the last thing I want to mention is, uh, one of the more famous cases of Wendigo psychosis in, uh, reported involved a Plains Cree trapper named Swift Runner. During the winter of 1978, Swift Runner and his family were starving and his eldest son died. 25 miles away from the emergency food supplies at a Hudson's Bay Company post, Swift Runner Wow, I don't know why I was butchering that. Swift Runner butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children. Given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to food supplies, and that he killed and consumed the remains of all those present, it was revealed that Swift Runner's was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort to avoid starvation, but rather of a man with Wendigo psychosis. He he eventually confessed and was executed by the authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. I mean, I'm really, so proud Nico, that I said that word right. They should have just understood. Anybody who's taken a family trip, as you get 12 miles into the thing, you're like, I will eat every one of you motherfuckers right now. If you do not shut up, sit down, and Say stop touching your sister. one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> Michael. And I just had an idea. If I had more time, I wanted to actually uh, end with another lie. I'm just saying this just because I got this idea of a person that was locked in a or that was a caretaker for a old hotel in Denver, near Denver, Colorado. But mm. I, I just okay. had that idea now, and I wish I could have done it. But. I appreciate your ruse, sir. Mm-hmm. So we we missed everything except for you Vikings. Missed we missed the one. Three. So you're 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 offended then because there's one in yes. there that you were offended. Yeah. Okay. What was yeah, that one? So I'll say that one first. Um, I said it's the totally not controversial modern medical term known as Wendigo psychosis, and I even made sure to specify that they considered a culture specific disorder. Um, it, it's okay. it's totally controversial. Uh, fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western ethnographers, uh, psychologists, and anthropologists led to a hotly debated controversy controversy in the <laughs> 80s over the historicity of this phenomenon. Uh, some researchers argued that essentially Wendigo psychosis was a fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories related to them at face value without observation. Okay. Now, there's an argument to be made that, you know, we thought you were being sarcastic when you say that it is totally not controversial, uh, it, which was the tone that I thought you were going for. But to oh, your I, point, it just flew over my head. No, uh, I, I will, uh, I will go with you and you can chastise me for, for not calling that. I won't chastise. Uh, ch- wow. I, you're, trust me. I understand you have, you've got the, the I used up all my vocab words for the, and, for the yeah. day. So I, trust me, I sympathize uh, with your plight presently. Yes. Um, so the last two lies, so I was quite, um, I was quite crafty with this. Um, mm-hmm. I got you with a lieception. So a the lie explanation, <gasps> yeah, 
The uh, Vikings who landed in Greenland, yes, that was a lie. Um, our modern-day interpretation comes from the Gulfland peoples. The lie for that was all Native American cultures have some variation on the myth of the Wendigo. The major similarities being that all culture, uh, between them being that it's cannibalistic. That is not true. Um, the Wendigo myth is concentrated around the Great Lakes and the massive forests that stretch from there to the north. So, especially if you were to think that it deals primarily with starvation, and I mentioned during the winter. Mm. So, if you go to places that are more, you know, like Florida or anywhere south of the Great Lakes, starvation isn't as likely to happen. Okay. Right? So, that was another lie. I Um, think also the thing that I was running with in my head as you were explaining that is in the Southwestern uh, Native American cultures, the ideas of uh, skin changers or skin walkers does somewhat have a relation to that. So I went, okay, this could be possible. And then I kind of disregarded the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, that is a good point. There's actually another kind of um, closely related myth. Um, it's not, uh, the Wendigo per se, but it's from peoples that, uh, were settled in the, uh, uh, Seattle, the Washington slash Vancouver area, I believe. Um, but that the Wendigo wasn't necessarily insane. It was cannibalistic creature, but it was more enlightened by, uh, ancestral spirits as opposed to it being, uh, insane. Okay. So it's so. doing it out of a desire to somewhat you know, take on the attributes of the individual it's consuming, like other yeah. cannibalistic cultures. Mm-hmm. It was okay. like a perilous, or perilistic, uh, parallel uh, myth to okay. the Wendigo. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then the last one was kind of a, a cheesy one. I focused primarily on the liception there, but the last one was uh, during the winter of 1978, um, where this guy ate his five oh, kids his and his... Yeah, um, and he, the fact that he was executed and all that stuff. It, it happened in 1878. Okay. Um, yes, yes. Oh, an old Watkins shuffle there. Yeah. Um, I even looked up because Hudson Bay Company is like a big, like, colonizing company, like the East India Trading Company or, you know, stuff like that. Um, I looked it up to see if it still existed and actually still does. Ooh. They make like clothes or something like that, I think, but they're like a very, they're, they're now a private company. They used to be traded on the stock market and all this other stuff until like last year they started massively selling their stuff. Um, so I thought that was interesting, but Quite. yeah, that's my, uh, spoopy, um, take on the Wendigo and well, Wendigo psychosis. It's a Winnebago. <laughs> I'm glad you got into the the spirit of the season and didn't just relegate it to the two of us yeah. being the ones just throwing our heads into the muck. So thank you for for diving in with us. Well, once Jonathan, Jonathan, in trouble. I have no Indeed. idea why <laughs> <it's> Jonathan. <laughs> well, once Jonathan said that he was going to <laughs> simply do a free form for Stephen King, I almost said Stephen Hawking for some reason. <laughs> I felt that I was my civic duty to do an episode so we don't ramble on for an hour and a half. He says hey. as he rambles. I mean, what's the problem More with so. rambling on for an hour and a half? I, some oh. of us enjoy that nonsense. I've grown tired of rambling I was alone. born a rambling man. I, I heard Michael's joke instead of yours, John. <laughs> oh, so. That's probably the best. <laughs> well, I went with Isbell, and he went with nonsense. So, No, it was a music reference. I don't remember the song, but... <laughs> now Shane Mama, that I was born a rambling <laughs> man. man. I knew yes. what you were talking about. Yeah, I was I said, with you. <laughs> I just can't remember the song or like the what it's called and who wrote it, played it. It's called Ramblin' Man. Oh, I've been okay. tired of rambling alone is what I said. I did a play on in his book. I see. Okay. Well, 
swing and a miss on on both sides. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate yeah. the attempt. Yeah, I just yeah. got no more jam left to give in the old peener. <sighs> if it were a snake, it would have bit me. Hot. Well, that attitude. <laughs> Pies and snakes. Well, uh, I, I think that uh, we've we've sufficiently given ourselves a. An out, uh, and we've made it through an hour of glorious audio recording and, and kept it semi succinct, other than the fact that we were trampling over the bulk of Michael's presentation as per usual. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just on brand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it pretty much is. It's important for us to do that. I actually do write every, when I actually spend time to write my script, I write each bullet point to be at least, or at most three sentences, because I figured after that point I would be interrupted. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if it happens enough times, you know, you bang your head into a wall enough times, you realize that it hurts, so. Do you? That's, that's you the like? phrase, right? That's, that's an idiom, right? That's, that's a pop culture. I, I don't know. And me, Shane, please. Okay. Well, uh, for for those that wanted to uh, get into a little Stephen King conversation, John, did you have uh, a jumping off point that you uh, you wanted to to slide into here to to make this kingly? Oh, I could probably think of something on the fly here. Um, why why did I expect any preparation from you for something that I, you've posited why, that we needed to do? I should have just expected that, that would nothing have would have been preconceived and it would why have just would I sat. Oh, I was, was, was going to do a running gig where I was like, John, gig? why are you pulling out a giant book? Why is that all written notes? How much preparation did you do, John? How many times do I have to tell you guys that the only and like literally the only time I'll do prep is for the elevator game? Um... No, I I don't know why I thought I've been thinking about it a lot. The difference between the Kubrick and the miniseries on The Shining and why for some reason I have this this weird hang up where I really, really loved the inclusion of the hornet's nest um, in the miniseries for The Shining. And for it being absent in the Kubrick version bothers me because and it, so now that we're in uh the Stephen King, yeah, in Stephen King talk, if no one has read The Shining, this is not going to make any fucking sense to you, and I apologize, and please keep listening, uh, keep our retention numbers solid and strong. Yes. Um, there's a really strong uh, metaphor that the hornet's nest, I think, uh, poses in the book itself, especially as the book carries on and on and on and on and on, um, and it being gone in the Kubrick version kind of... Uh, lessen some of the uh the sinister tones for me i don't know i, I just i'm lost in my own asshole at this point so okay. i'm just begging for shane no, to help I, me out like to I, like to flush out what i'm trying to say here all right i i i didn't want to just eat your talk. your meal for you by assuming what it was that you wanted to talk about so if we're going to drill down on specifically this was a topic we were going to bring up for phoenix fan fusion this year before everything vomited and uh, we wound up not having any gatherings at all but we were going to do kind of a a side-by-side comparison talking about one the doctor sleep film and how it honors both the Shining book and the Shining film in addition to then including the source material from Dr. Sleep. But 
there has been a lot of contention and a lot of dissent between one fans of film, because uh, we've all known that Kubrick is an auteur filmmaker and it's really easy to sort of lorelize that film because it's brilliant. It is one of the, you know, greatest, I should say most lauded horror films of all time. It's in many people's top five, as far as if oh, you yeah. want to herald something that really is unnerving and creepy and ghastly all at the same time, but also has an interesting character arc. It's a really marvelous film and Kubrick does a phenomenal job. There's a bloody documentary out, uh, which is, uh, what is that? Really Inside it's room good. Yeah. 237. Is that what it is? Yes. It's room 237. Uh, 237. Oh. It might be two. Oops. It's 237, I think, because we're going oh, with okay. what's in I, the, it's the book and the film have two different numbers, which is Yeah, fun, I just so. realized that. I just uh, remember that. But yeah, the entire documentary delves greedily and deeply into all of the nuances and little tricks and sort of uh, bits that are included in the background that occur over the course of the film to show just how cerebral Kubrick is as a filmmaker. So taking nothing away from that, Stephen King has also had a long-running argument against the fact that the tone of the film is dramatically different from what he wanted the tone of the book to be, in that, yes, the hotel itself is kind of the antagonist, and it sort of leeches onto Jack as a character and manages to kind of subvert him, but there is ultimately a redemption to that character at the end of the story, whereas Kubrick makes him more menacing and kind of sinister, and he doesn't right. change at all, and is just completely overthrown by the entity by the end of it. So, to your point, John, what I think you're referring to is that that being there is somewhat a catalyst that both brings the entire family into the idea that the hotel is kind of pervading their spirit and invading their thoughts. And it localizes on he's gassed the thing. He knew that it was not full of hornets any longer, and yet it manifests them almost out of thin air. And so that's one of the catalysts for seeing the supernatural sort of start invading their lives. And so it's, it's a necessary thing for the storytelling aspects, but, you know, the way Kubrick throws everything together is from the moment you walk into that hotel, everything starts kind of slip sliding away. Yeah. And, and that's a good, and that's also a good point too, because like the main thing that I like to always discuss when talking about the difference between the book and the movie is the, the difference between Jack as a character. In yeah. Both of them. Dog. Mm -hmm. Um, because, and, and the wasp scene is a very good, um, like thing to include when you talk about Jack as the father in the book, where he is a very kind and loving father yeah. who has issues. Mm -hmm. He has, he's haunted by demons, but that isn't necessarily all his character is. That's because the heart. there's, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Because there's a lot of points in the book where he does have those moments of clarity when he's like, I should, I need to do this, or I care about Danny. I could never hurt him. I could never do this. I could mm -hmm. never do that. I will throw away everything and throw away this job and leave, or I can let everything go blow up right now. And we can all just leave and say that something happened. Like he has those moments in the book that don't carry over into the film. And the wasp scene is very good about that because he wasn't like, I can't imagine movie Jack doing something like that mm -hmm. because he's more concentrated on the book. I can't imagine him necessarily because I don't yeah. even think they cover too much of the caretaker duties that he does in the book in the actual no, movie. No. It's why so 
it's why in Flanagan's Doctor Sleep, how it kind of uh, culminates in the boiler room. Why, when I saw that for the first time, I like wanted to squeeze whoever was next to me's leg, whether it was you or Shane. I don't know if I was in the middle. I think it was. I think it was Shane. Yeah, it was. Um, the the moment that I saw the boiler, I was like, oh my god, there's going to be a redemption here. And I feel like what you're talking about one. I just had this like weird epiphany of like, God damn it, this is what a book club is. Um, Jack is a heartbreaking character in the mm-hmm. book because he does want, he's a relatable character in a way, mm-hmm. like where you're trying to improve on a flaw mm-hmm. and you're aware of the flaw and you want to correct it. So he's gone through these lengths, um, that are described on like how he's going to better himself and he's fighting with changing himself. And then he's met with the immovable force, which is, a fucking haunted evil place that that is that's fucking with him mm-hmm. so that's the that's the hornet's nest in, in and of itself where what michael's saying what shane has said like he doesn't want to hurt his son he did it the one time that was like rock bottom like that's yes. the moment that that spiraled all of the change so why would he want to go through that again mm-hmm. and also he wants to re- regain his wife's trust so why would why would he go and and fuck that up again right so He's a heartbreaking character because it's relatable. He wants to change and he wants to do better. And that's what the most of the book is about is, I think, recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what is like expanded upon in greater detail in Dr. Sleep where yeah. much greater it, detail, uh, you know, where Jack failed. And I don't even think it was because he, f- I think Jack Torrance would have succeeded if the haunting and the evil presence were never encountered. Oh, of course. Most certainly. There's, you know, the interesting thing, and I think the reason King is as protective of it as it is, is it is a very personal story for him. Yeah. Because he is dealing with his own addiction at the time, and he's, you know, dressing the fact that to most addicts, and anyone who has had an addict in the family or who has suffered an addiction themselves, you understand, you feel like it is a weakness that you have. And essentially, it's like a flaw of your character, and you should be able to get by on your own. Like, you're, you're weak-willed, and you should just be able to go. So the willingness to ask for help is a really big hurdle to get through, and anyone who talks about recovery in general knows that's the first step is admitting you have a problem. And so the tinge that is then given to this character who understands he has a flaw and is actively trying to address it he's just not getting help from an outside party he thinks if i buckle down and i focus on the good things i can continue to be good and he falls short of the goal time and time again and whether it's you know not being as excellent as a writer as he thought he was going to be and just sort of constantly tripping at the hurdles is a problem what kubrick then does is he subverts that entirely and he just makes the Jack Torrance character, a very driven and maniacal and egocentric individual. So it removes all of your attachment to him as a person and a flawed character. And you're like, Oh, he's just the, the thing that sprung to mind and whatever you feel about him as a comic is, is different than what you feel of him as a person because the allegations and all the other things we've learned about Bill Cosby is he's, he's not a very redeemable human being. If we're to believe all these things, but he had a really great joke about cocaine uh, where an individual he talks about, what is what does cocaine do for you? Like, why do you take it? And he goes, well, it uh, <clears throat> intensifies your personality. And the punchline to the joke is, well, what if you're an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the idea that you get from the alcoholism is that Jack Torrance 
as a man is a dramatically different person than when he gets a couple belts of scotch in him. And then the hotel essentially just is the earth intoxicant, basically. It just swaps out one vice for another. And so his ego does fall into the mix. And there are things that sort of get leavened in over the course of the story. Whereas from the moment he walks on screen, he's kind of a prick in the movie and continues to be. And he has moments where he's on the verge of being somewhat, you know, touching and emotionally connected to his wife and child, but he just, he's not. So to King watching that character kind of be bastardized on film, I can understand why it would be problematic for him. Sorry for um, a long winded explanation. No, No, you're good. Um, I, because I'm, I'm just getting to, I just got to the morning of December 2nd, I believe. So I'm like right at the, pretty much the climax of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see a lot of parallels with movie Jack and the Jack that sabotages the snowmobile mm-hmm. where he envisions himself, you know, the writer that wrote for Esquire yes. having to shovel yard or backyard front yards whatever driveways and all these other things or having to go to drive to california and start a new there and that is his major driving force to i'm not gonna let us leave even though something attacked my son yeah and that is i think a lot of the driving force behind the movie jack where we don't get to see his fall from grace if you will mm-hmm. we just see the end result of that where because jack becomes more driven though he if it was if this occurred earlier on in the winter or in the fall he might be more convi- uh, more um, driven towards finishing his book instead of giving up on that and more dedicating himself to the actual hotel. Um, because that's pretty much kind of what he does is that he, he believes that if he gets through the hotel, if he sacrifices everything else and completes the hotel job, then he can use this as a driving point. He can write that hotel book, damn the consequences mm-hmm. there and then move on yeah. and be able to come uh, become a great writer because at this point he's already given up on writing the book or, yeah. or sorry the play the play right um it's yeah. it's a shot at redemption for him and that's really what he feels like he would have to sacrifice is that he would cease to be the great writer and just be the father and the husband and that's not an indictment, unfortunately, as, you know, for those who sit around, it's like, that's not the worst possible thing that you could be. But the ego is driving that. It's like, I'm better than this. I'm meant for better things. And that also gets expanded upon in Dr. Sleep and why he had an extramarital affair and all the other little things that kind of get wrapped up into this melange of what is Jack Torrance as a character, which is why I really love both aspects and why the book's great and i love the movie as well there are a lot of things that you can get wrapped up in and we could do this for another hour and a half very easily just based on the fact that all three of us really appreciate it and like kind of the nuances i do think i have an out for us though give it okay it's stephen king related and i don't recall if i have shared this before but are uh, either of you familiar with rose red i have not read the book no neither have i okay so Rose Red, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this era of time, uh, and it was it was way ahead of its time. Limited series run, so it's like you know the original It, uh, The Shining. Hmm. There's another one that was very oh, mythical, isn't like that Tenth a show? Kingdom. Didn't, isn't that a show that he co-authored or he he wrote the entire show yeah, himself? Yeah. So I remember. So Rose Red, let's see here, came out in 2002. 
And I remember watching it around or with my family and it just scaring the shit out of me. I just didn't know any better, I don't think. Like, it was, it was tiptoeing into horror. Um, but I thought about it recently because it really, like, with Bly Manor coming around again, or coming around and then Hill House, um, I was thinking about Rose Red because it's definitely a haunted house, Shining-esque kind of thing. So this is just first couple uh, sentences in the, the wiki for it. Okay. And it makes so much sense. So, originally conceived as a feature film, writer Stephen King pitched the idea for Rose Red to Spielberg in 96, envisioning it as a loose remake of Robert Wise's 1963 film, The Haunting, which itself was based on Shirley Jackson's 59 novel, The Haunting of Hill House. So, yeah, that is tangentially tangentially related that's also king it is king i i didn't know it at the time because why would i but king wrote the script for rose red it has been dragged through the mud because it is hot fucking garbage but if you can snack like if you're at zia or your local like buy trade sell kind of record shop or a thing like that and you find a copy just pick it up it's probably it would probably be fun for a once over just for the sake of tearing it apart (laughs) <laughs> but you will you will see all the influence of things that I guarantee you like now. Okay. I also, to have something that is tangentially related to what we've been talking about today, it's something I alluded to and I got semi-called out for in the comments. Because uh, when I guested with Uh-oh. the horror show, uh, when we were at last year's Fan Fusion and they had me on for their Stephen King discussion, uh, one of the first Stephen King books that I read as I was ascending into consciousness, I do point out that The Stand is kind of the one that really got me. Yeah, fully you said that on air again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually read The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Yeah, when you I said was that you read that senior, when you were very young. Uh, well, no, I read it when I was a senior in high school. Uh, oh, it was something I that I was working on uh, because we had to do book reports uh, in my senior year as well. Oof, and I wrote same a song these. for the you know the book report because it, it was an easy out as an artist. You can ah. go through like, oh, I wrote this and it's inspired by. It. And I still, you know, I'd read the book. I simulated you, the material. Do you have that song still? Uh, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain that it was something that I just kind of loose fit a song i was already working on and just kind of bent it enough in the narrative Damn, we've talked about say, this i was yeah. gonna say that it would have been really it, cool if, if you had it we should just plug it at the end of the show it'd be so good yeah i would have loved to just end on that i mean but. it is on my first record uh i think the song is called never glow it's this is like first first record the some the one i put out in 2000 so i'm not sure okay. anyone's heard that but me uh other than the 17 people that had it when i was in high school uh long story short too late the concept of the girl who loved tom gordon which we've talked about is a young girl gets lost in the woods and she helps herself to kind of escape the woods by using her walkman and listening to baseball games where her favorite baseball player tom gordon was playing and so she kind of manifests him as a a Sherpa and imagines having conversations with Tom Gordon to help her one, not lose her mind and be totally just lost in her fear. And he kind of helps guide her out of the woods the entire time as she's walking through the forest. However, she's being stalked by this sort of nameless malice. And it's this sort of spectral hatred that you hear about. And King talks about it in very vague details, but also just sort of describing it as this weird, shapeless Mm -hmm. sort of entity that is just pure hatred. And it manifests itself, spoilers, at the end of the book, coming out of the woods as a giant bear and kind of 
morphs into this bear. So in my reading it, when I had also read through Pet Cemetery and everything, I was like, this is another iteration of the Wendigo to me. Is it feels like something again that, sh- you know, shifts its shape that is not necessarily one thing at all times. And of course, it's stalking this person, sort of siphoning its fear and, you know, the idea that it's going to die and a lot of the trepidation surrounding that. And that's kind of what's fueling it. And so I always assumed to me that was a parallel that was running. And somebody's like, it wasn't the Wendigo in that story. It's like, well, he doesn't name it that. But to me, it's the closest correlative yeah. I had to a familiar concept. And since he already had gone into great detail and depths when writing Pet Cemetery, I thought this feels very much to me like another, since we know, you know, the King universe is interconnected, as John will find out. Uh, it, it's something that you, I felt harkened back to the other story and could sort of take place in the same universe. And so that's me putting myself on blast for saying that people have, have indicated that I'm wrong in that, but that's my perspective. So for the Wendigo, if you want a C also, you can delve into the girl who loved Tom Gordon. It's a very fun book. It's a good read worth spending yeah, some time with. To circle back to, to Michael's topic today, I think the Wendigo has a lot of more or a lot more like, See also's to curb from you. Breaking Bad. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That we could, uh, that then we even realized. So you have, uh, your recommendation. Michael and Ari already touched on, uh, Until Dawn. Until Dawn, which is a lot of fun. Shane, if it's on sale, I would, and if you don't already have it, I would definitely recommend playing it. And maybe because it's kind of like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. Oh, it seeing, is. Most seeing certainly. if Melissa can handle it. They do have, I believe like, there like is a handle you watch feature for it. Handle you uh, playing it, like watching you play it, because it's very cinematic. It's almost it's almost exclusively meant to be viewed as like a movie that you're mm. in control of. Um, it's it's a quick time event sort of dis- uh, choose your own adventure esque thing. Where okay, I think you can I think you can bang it out in like six hours total. Something like that. Well, I mean, it depends on how fast uh, or if you want to get people killed, because you can make the game very short if you purposely get yeah because characters can die or they can live so your actions can decide whether or not these characters die or do you, know, you think melissa could then... handle us a, a, a proper uh you underestimate my power <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably pushing it for, yeah, for all, she does not like anything that is oh. unnerving. It just, I don't, it's not like one of those where I'll casually dip my toe in the water. No, it is anathema to her. She wants nothing to do with it. I think it's the, like me telling Becky she needs to rewatch Tusk, where I think she would rather get a divorce than watch that movie again. Yeah. I, I think Melissa has her own, like, you know, Halloween watches. She enjoys seasonal films as much as all of us. Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus is one. She, uh, it, it's, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. The closest I think she gets to anything is like, Escape from Witch Mountain and The Watcher in the Woods. So, I like, don't know Disney films. Yeah. Is yeah. As spooky what about as a she Halloween gets. Town? Yeah. I, I don't have any frame of reference for that. But so, yeah. Drop, is drop n- Halloween Town on her and see what she says. I guarantee yeah, she, she fucking loves it. Yeah. She is not one of those folks like me who can sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to watch uh, the prequel to the thing and then John Carpenter's the thing in a back to back setting. Uh, and was and the survive. remake technically a prequel? Yes, the the remake okay. essentially sets up everything that happens in the next film. If you're not familiar, I am. Huh. I've never watched John Carpenter's, but I have watched <gasps> the the prequel. You it's on my list. It's on sh- it's on Shutter. So I'm I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna disown you as a friend if you do I not watch, watch that it. by the end of this month because it is I top five 100%. greatest horror films ever. 
No question. Oof. Carpenter says it's his his best film. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've never I've never had an aversion to watching it. I just never. I don't. I think I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never had a dedicated sit down one okay. sitting. Thing. So as I'll, we, I'll do that. As we herald, like you know, an American Werewolf in London for the creature effects and what they do, what happens in that? I have a giant like compendium art book right here of material Ooh. from the thing, uh, which I will pull down once we're off of this episode and show you, gents. But it's people doing their own takes on certain scenes from the film and redoing the film posters and things. I got it at Fan Fusion. Uh, really phenomenal. Hmm. I think I've. I think you actually have shown me that in. IRL, as the children would say. Indeed, I think you you glanced at it, but me assuming that you knew what it was, you know, referencing right. or depicting. I actually also have a thing, um, little maquette that Melissa gave me for my birthday last year as well, sitting on a thing over here. So I'm I'm a fan. I'm a dyed in the wool appreciator. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think that has certainly put the uh, the final nail in the coffin for this week's. Spoopy episode. Uh, yes. And uh, next week, we want everyone to be very excited because for the penultimate uh, installment in the Halloween saga, we are going to go down the rabbit hole of one of the most ghastly films that has ever been set to celluloid, and that is Deathbed, the bed that eats. And I guarantee you, one, uh, we're going to include a link because this thing is on YouTube. I do not know how it has managed to stay there. It may not still be there by the time we make it through. But if we can, I might try to force you gents to sit and, and watch this with me once we get through the episode. Because it it bears a viewing. for mm. its horror. And it's only probably like an hour and 15 uh, It's it, Yeah, it's not a very long film. But holy sure. Moses. Uh, the word bazooms is going to come up in the course of our discussion, and I cannot wait to to get you gents there. I love it. Sold. Sold. Absolutely sold. I have one for you guys as well. Ooh, uh, give it. Maybe I'll, I'll save it. Um, well, they, they made a shitty movie from the original short film, um, but it's Lights Out. Ah, I, I don't know okay. if you guys have ever seen the original short film. I think it's only like five minutes long. Or less. I have not. Um, but fucking super, super creepy. Like, first time I ever saw it, it legitimately, like, stuck with me, like, the first time I ever saw one of those shitty jump scare videos. Okay. That we talked about last week, I think. Um, so it'd be fun. It'd be fun to watch that together on next week's episode. If, if I, I wrote a note, maybe I'll wrote, throw it on the whiteboard too. Okay. Uh, to remind us maybe to do that on air next week. All right. Um, I for I fucking forgot. Oh, I I also forgot this week to follow up on the one sentence horror stories. It's actually two sentence horror stories. Oh, I but see. I think what I will oh, do instead, if it pleases you, um, is do it on After Dark this week. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll okay. pop you a couple two sentence horror stories before we hit the hypothetical. Uh, another cool. interesting After Dark thing that we might dip our toe into as well. I had begun formulating in the uh, air of the Magnus Archives. I was going to start doing my own horror podcast where I was going to write weekly installments and then eventually encourage other people to send me their material to read. But it was going to be called uh, listener or uh, yes, either listener or viewer mail, depending upon how it eventually manifested. And I have the entire first episode done. 
uh, it, it written out and prepped. So I can, if oh, we so ever we could do that for an after dark, we could, if we ever want to, it's basically just a giant monologue. If you've never heard the Magnus archives, it's kind of just one person reading a person's statement. But, uh, the intro I think is, is fun just in and of itself. We don't have to do the full story, but my, the idea is it is a gentleman who is doing like a weekly show and he goes by the hot handle of podcaster Marin. For the Exorcist fans <laughs> out there, and well, uh, I'm I'm fond of it. Well, how about? Uh, sorry that you hear the pen click there. Um, <laughs> Let me so pencil you be, in. Let's for the final after dark of the month, which mm. that means that will drop on ten thirty. Um, Ooh. And for like everyone who is playing the home game here, we do a YouTube companion show called disinformed after dark Good Shane segue. usually does this plug yeah um and it drops 10 a.m every friday uh it's what we do while our files compress we just kind of shoot the shit and we explore chuck klosterman's hypotheticals that shane has gloriously uh curated for us and i've stepped all over his pitch for this and this is the first time i've ever done it but yeah. i just feel like it would have been impolite to hand it over to him if i was the one suggesting mm-hmm. that we change the format but on october 30th i think we should do your version uh of the magnus archives or your your horror inspired uh monologue if you will it would be an exceptionally long after dark if we did it that way i am i am pretty fucking down to do that though so the only thing i want to add to that is uh shane when does it air it airs Ah. 10 a.m every friday Mountain time. That's why you're important to clear. Yes, Michael was about to jump out of his pants if you didn't say it, and you didn't. So uh, yeah. he's now no longer wearing any skivvies. Completely nude. Here I was. I was and like, I will Shane, be for the after I was dark. like, Daddy, I'm trying. Why are you mad? It's because it's, I didn't do it correctly. It's not because I did it. It's because I didn't do it correctly. It's, it's inconveniently he's not mad, audited. He's just disappointed. That, uh, you know, we have to have continuity here, my friend. If there's anything that we have taught over the course of, you know, this year of podcasting together, uh, we need our, we need our little bits. We need our Sigourney segues to live. Which, hey, another cheers to you guys. We are, uh, we are really doing a fantastic job, in my opinion, doing a fantastic job of keeping this thing afloat while not being in the same fucking room anymore. So, uh, Amen. it is possible. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've been having a lot of fun. This has Agreed. been a, uh, this has been a good little decompress from the suck. Uh, to so. keep this going as long as possible since Michael is just going to die a slow and, and dismal death. I was talking about this with Sam. She came over and we did a little writing this week and oh, she cool. was mentioning how there's a lot of anxiety and things going on with her returning to work. And I said, the only thing really keeping me afloat other than a marvelous woman who loves me, who I spend the bulk of my waking existence with. And that's a quick shout out. Oh, Melissa. And oh, we can all do this. I'm sure. But, uh, I told Sam, I said that doing the podcast has been the greatest free therapy. Well, not technically free, but uh, mostly free therapy that I have ever had simply just because we get to, you know, air our laundry, still keep the human contact here and we entertain each other, which is ultimately what we're here to do. And we want to entertain you as well. And hopefully we're doing so. Yeah, and the numbers are like we don't really put that much time into like promotion or anything like that. And no, no. Thankfully, you guys keep listening, which is a really, really heartening thing to see every Monday or Tuesday when I log in and see our analytics. I'm like, how? What are you doing with your time? Do something better. Learn a new skill. Like, just... (laughs) 
Stop trying to talk people out of our podcast, gentlemen. I do that enough just by opening my mouth. We don't need to make it any worse. Hey, we are They come for the offensiveness of Shane, and they stay for my... Sweet uh, naivete. Yes. (laughs) Sure. That's, uh, you're a poet, and you weren't even really aware of that actuality. Yes. Yes. Uh, I shared a a meme with Asher. Uh... And Gasp. it was, life is a lot like Dead by Daylight. I don't want to play Dead by Daylight. <laughs> it's reasonable. <sighs> and he sent me back. Uh, this is what I woke up to. You know, some people wake up to nice texts. And I wake up to this meme. Woke up like and it's this. And it's a picture of Confucius. And the top says, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am, and they removed the C, so it just says hanging myself. <laughs> Instead of changing, it's hanging. <laughs> That's an oh, Asher okay. joke. Yeah, I, I, I get that joke now. Okay. Uh, putting okay. the C back in, or damn it, I stepped on the joke. <laughs> the, putting, putting the, the N putting back, the in, the cut. back in cut. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing here, folks, and we haven't just totally browbeaten you into inexistence or blasted you into powder, you can find us on all the social networks that you use frequently or infrequently or not at all if you're Michael. So yep. on uh, Instagram.com, <laughs> we are at Disinformed Podcast. On Facebook.com, we are at Disinformed Podcast. Well, Facebook.com slash Disinformed Podcast. And on Twitter, you can find us at Disinformed Pod. Not to mention that every single freaking Friday, you can find us 10 a.m. Mountain Time on the tubes of you for Disinformed After Dark and coming soon. Not John, but uh, we will be debuting or debutting uh, to Crib from Michael, the yes. Hogwarts School of Prayer and Miracles. 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 Yes. I like that. Uh, and we we uh, will probably be throwing that up on the tubes of you as well. That will likely be our Wednesday installment. So you can see us three times a week, just like, you know, your therapist, I suppose, That's if you're really gung ho. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Uh, use us in the way we use each other. It's uh, come dumpsters and free therapy. I was going to say, <laughs> you got to add something more than just Shane therapy. Shane School of Come Dumpsters and Free Therapy. Yes, indeed. Cung- cunnilingus and cum dumpstery. Yes, that is <laughs> what we're at here. Well, And that's a clip, Michael. Yes. <laughs> so... For all of you fun folks and disinformants hanging out at home, thank you for being here. Uh, if you, you know, do us the favor of, uh, of coming back, we'll do you the favor of continuing to record this bloody nonsense. So for Disinformed Podcast number 1,970,000, I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. <laughs> I was about to say, thanks for coming, kids. Don't worry. We'll clean it up. Uh, but don't worry. So season one. So long and good night. So come and good night. Go get in your Winnebago, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs>